So what's up, Abundant Life? How are you guys doing today? You know what? You guys are so alive. It's so good to see you today. Wasn't Easter great last week? My wife looked over to me. She says, was Easter just last week? And I said, yeah, it was. I mean, it seems like the time goes by so fast. And, and uh, so, yeah, Easter was last week. It was great. It was fantastic. And, and you guys are alive today. You came to worship, right? Yeah. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I want you just to, to turn to somebody and say, you need to run out of that grave, okay? You need to run out of that grave. All right. Hey, it is so good. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, for those of you first-time guests, welcome back. Those of you online, welcome. Great to have you with us today. We are continuing a series that we started just last week that we're calling Mercy. And over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to unpack what, what it means to, to experience the mercy of God and to understand and to see his mercy. The definition that we've given to mercy is the un, uh, unearned kindness of God, the unearned kindness and the forgiveness of God. This, this, this forgiveness that we don't deserve it. We don't deserve his forgiveness, but yet he gives it to us every day, and there's nothing we can do to earn his kindness, his favor, his blessing, but that's just the way he is. That's the God we serve. And so we began by looking at the different times in life when you and I need the mercy of God. There's so many times we need it, but we talked about when... We are ashamed because we've messed up and we've made a mistake, we've failed, and we're ashamed of that and we need the mercy of God. We talked about how we need the mercy of God when we're angry at life and we're angry at God. You may be angry at a person, you're frustrated, and, and you need that mercy from God during those, those times. And we talked about how we need the mercy of God when we are afraid. And many times, as we talked about, death is one of those times when people just are afraid because they don't know what the future holds and they're not sure where they stand with God and those kinds of things. And it's when we are afraid in life and we face those times that God answers it with his mercy. Now, today, we want to pick up on the theme of, of messing up and, and failing because the reality is, as we all admitted last week, we all fail. We all make mistakes, and we all have things that we are ashamed of, and we, we're broken people, and we know that so very much about ourselves. In fact, even Jesus' closest followers made mistakes. They, they failed, and you think about people like Judas who betrayed Jesus, and you think of people like Peter who denied Jesus, and all of his disciples on that evening, they just all disappeared when Jesus was arrested. And what I want us to look at today is specifically the life of Peter, and I want us to look at three things today. What causes you and me to fail? What causes us to, to have these mistakes and, and, and to do things that we are ashamed of? Why does that happen? And, and in actuality, these are things that will cause, cause businesses to fail. They'll cause churches to fail. They'll cause marriages to fail. All of those things. And then what steps do we take to get back? What do we do to recover from those failures in life? But most importantly of, of all is how does Jesus respond to that? How does he respond to the failures in, in our life? And so today, that's what I want us to start with. So, so let's talk about this. What, what causes failure in our life? I want to see three things that Peter did wrong 
And my guess is most of us here at some time or another have, have done these things as well. The first one is, is we overestimate our strength. We overestimate how strong we are. We think we're stronger than what we really are. And we think we're able to deal with the temptations of life and, and we can just handle it on our own. And, and we're strong enough and we can deal with this. And the reality is there are many times we can't. And when we overestimate our strength, it can be a setup for failure. In Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to pick up the story of Peter. And this is on the night that Jesus is having his last dinner with his disciples, the last supper. And he says to his disciples, now, all of you are going to run away from me tonight. Every one of you is going to leave me tonight. And if you can imagine this scene, Jesus is with his closest followers, and he looks them in the eye, and he says, you're going to run away. You're going to leave me tonight. So Peter speaks up, and no surprise that, that Peter speaks up. He's always the one who seems to speak up. And he says, Jesus, I will never leave you. Even though all the rest do, I'm not going to leave you. And Jesus says to Peter, I tell you that before the rooster crows tonight, you will say three times that you do not know me. And Peter says, I'd never do that. Lord, I'll never, I'll never do that. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never do that. And so he says this really three times. He repeats it twice. So he says it three times. And Jesus says, Peter, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You can take it to the bank. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. I'll never forget hearing years ago a preacher on TV made a statement that left this indelible impression in my mind. He, he made this statement. He says, I am incapable of sinning. <laughs> and that's what I did. That's what I did. I went, <laughs> you know, and I thought, you, you and that is so, that's scary. I mean, it, it scares me even to say the words. You know, it's like God saying, like, well, I'll show you. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know. That scares me to even hear something like that. I don't know where his theology came from, and, and I don't know where he landed and all that stuff. But, but listen to this verse from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, if you think you're standing firm, then you better be careful that you do not fall. So if any of you here, you're thinking, I'm, I'm above failure, you just need to remember, every one of you is just one step away from stupid, okay? <laughs> turn, turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're only one step away. You, you are. You're, you're only one step away. And so don't be naive. Don't be overconfident. Because I'm telling you what, given the right opportunity, any one of us in this room can fall into anything. So don't you ever think that, that you're above that. Here's number two, is we fear the disapproval of others. We, we fear the disapproval of other people. And this may be a bigger problem than you even realize because fearing the disapproval of others can cause you and me to do things that we otherwise wouldn't do and to do it with people that we shouldn't be with. Why? Because we're afraid of what they're going to say. We're afraid of what they're going to think. We're afraid of what they're going to call us, you know, if we don't follow along. And so you go along to get along. And we, you become a people pleaser. And you'll do anything just for the approval of others. And so after the supper that evening, there's an interest, interesting scripture uh, as the story continues in Matthew 26. 
verse 58. But Peter, he followed along at a distance. I want you to start with the at a distance. I, just, I think that's kind of an interesting phrase that, that the writer even put that there. He followed along at a distance, and he came to the courtyard of the high priest's palace. And he went in and he sat down with the guards to see what was going to happen. So he's following along at a distance. And then meanwhile, as Peter was sitting in the courtyard, a girl came over to him and said, Hey, you, you were with Jesus, for both of you are from Galilee. And then Peter denied loudly. And I, I wonder, why did he deny it loudly? It's like, man, if you don't want anybody to know you're there, you know, why, why you know, say, you know, I don't even know who you're talking about. You know, if it had been me, I'd go, I don't know who you're talking about. Just shut up. Okay? I mean, but he says loudly, he says, I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. And all these people are looking. Who's that yelling over there? Who's that yelling? And, and, and so stop and think about it. Peter's been with Jesus now for like three and a half years. And this is the first time that, that Jesus is in a major, major crisis. And it's an opportunity for Peter to stand up for, for him. What does he do? I don't even know the guy. Why? Because he, he's afraid of people. What are they going to think? And what's she going to do? And and all of that. So let me ask you a question. How many times have you had the opportunity to stand for Jesus, to let people know you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, whether it's at school or whether it's at work or whether it's in the community uh, group or whatever it happens to be, and you didn't stand up for Jesus because you were afraid of maybe what people would say, maybe afraid of what they'd think. And so in a sense, you, you, you follow Jesus, but maybe just a little bit out of distance. I have to admit that as a pastor, there are times where I don't tell people I'm a pastor, you know, because people get all weird and stuff. You know, I'll be sitting in the steam room or the sauna or something like that, and, and, and we're talking, and, and uh, I just, I don't want it to be known. But what really bugs me is after having been in one of those places, you know, 10 minutes later, somebody says, so, hey, that was a great message you preached this past week. It's like, great. You've been watching me for 10 minutes. You know, just waiting to see, you know, what I do or, you know, what I, who I look at or, or whatever and, and all this stuff. But, but anyway, so to get back to the point, in Proverbs chapter 29, it, it, I love this verse. It's dangerous. It is just dangerous to be concerned with what other people think about you. Isn't that interesting? But if you trust the Lord, you'll be safe. It's just dangerous to be concerned about what other people think about you. Here's the third thing is we speak without thinking. We speak without thinking. Is anybody here who's ever said something that you regretted? No, no, because you're all perfect. Because this is the perfect service. This is the best service. And, and you are the brightest people, and you're also a bunch of liars is what you are. And so we, we all know that we get in trouble because what we do is, is we so often we put our mouth in motion before we put our mind in gear. And, and, and people will do that, and we speak impulsively, we speak thoughtlessly, we speak recklessly, and, and all of those kinds of things, right? Yes, yes. We do that. And, and, and I know some people who, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's their personality or, or it's just how God wired them or whatever, but sometimes people, uh, they, they kind of wear that as a badge of honor or as a badge of courage, and I just, I just say what's on my mind. You know, I just, I just put it out there and see what's on my mind. You know, like, like that's like, like you're bold and, and, and you're, a, you're a, a, you know, big guy or tough guy or, you know, you're brave or whatever. To me, that's, that's not a sign of, of, of anything good. I, I think it's probably a sign of immaturity probably more than anything else. To be able to, to you know, 
just shut up, you know, and, and not, not say, just keep your mouth shut and, and wait, think, think, think before you, before you speak. And so here's, here's what happens to Peter. You know, he, he's nervous, he's uptight, he's afraid, and, and his emotions are, are in, in, in the way and maybe even getting in control. And, and so it says in the scripture, it says later out by the gate, another girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus from Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it. And this time with an oath, I mean, he, he swore. They said, I don't, I don't know this, this man, he said. But after a while, the men who had been standing there, they came over to him and they said, we know you. You are one of his disciples because we can tell by your Galilean accent. You know, people all the time are saying to my wife, where are you from? You know, and, you know, it's Texas or whatever. You know, you can tell people by their accent. And, and one, one phrase, it, 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 I mean, one paraphrase or one version of the Bible, it says this, you're one of them. <laughs> don't you hate that phrase? Don't you, don't you hate it when somebody, you know, looks and says, oh, you're one of them. <laughs> you know, we don't want to be one of them. We want to be one of us because we want to please everybody. And, and so you're one of them, and, 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 and so... Peter began to curse and swear, said, I don't know the man. And then immediately the cock crowed. And, and so the Bible tells us that, that so many times a lot of our problems are caused in life because of our, our tongue. It gets in the way. James tells us, he says, the tongue is a small thing. It is a tiny thing. You ever look at it in the mirror? It's just a tiny little thing. But, but, but what enormous damage it can do. It does a lot of damage. Just a tiny spark can burn up a great forest. The tongue is a flame of fire. That part of your body, is, it's full of wickedness and, and can poison everything else in your life. Isn't that interesting? And I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. The, the tongue is full of toxin and poison, and it can, can destroy marriages. It can destroy churches. It can destroy relationships. Destroyed dreams. It, it's just it's that's the way it works. I remember a, a long time ago I preached on the book of James, and when I came to this passage, I so desperately wanted to title the message, "Don't let your tongue lick you." But I thought that's so junior highish that I, I thought I'll wait. I'll wait until I'm old and senile, and then people will, they'll excuse me and say he's just old. You know he's you know get, cut him some slack. You know he's just old. But, but we all know it's true uh, that, that so much is destroyed because of our tongue. And, and so these are the kinds of things that cause us to, to fail. There's just three, and we see them in Peter's life, and, and they're also true in our life. But the question is, what do we do when we fail? How do you take steps back? What did Peter do that was right? Because he did do some things that were right. And I'm glad he did because they're a great example for you and me. The first thing is to grieve. There has to be a, a, a point, a time, a season of grieving when you mess up, when you make a mistake, when you fail. You have to go through that. In other words, you don't minimize the failure. You don't rationalize the failure. You don't blame other people for the failure. You don't deny the failure. You don't make excuses about the failure. I oftentimes tell people it is so much easier to go from failure to success than it is to go from excuses to success. Because as long as you're making excuses, you're never going to grow. You're never going to change because excuses will cause you to blame other people 
to rationalize. And aren't we really good as human beings about rationalizing? Aren't we? We're good at that. We can rationalize just about anything. When I'm out on the highway driving at a high rate of speed, I'm late and I have to go to a very important meeting because I'm a senior pastor. And that person is an idiot for driving so fast. <laughs> and so we can rationalize anything, right? You know what I call rationalize? Rational lies. And so we lie to ourselves all the time. But, but and, and Peter, he, he, he does this. But I'm so happy to see what he does do as, as, he, as he grows through this process. You'll see it in, in Matthew 26, verse 75. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went away crying bitterly. Circle those two words, crying bitterly. That's, that he's grieving. I mean, can you imagine how Peter must have felt? He probably thought something to himself that would have been like, you know, I, I've been with Jesus for about three years, three and a half years. I watched him teach. I watched him do miracles. I watched him heal people. I even watched him raise people from the dead. And now he's in a moment of need, and I don't even, I, I do not know him. I don't stand up for him. And, and I, I gave in because I was afraid of what people would think. But what I love about this is, is Peter owns up to his failure. He doesn't rationalize it. And he could have. He could, easily could have. He could have easily said and, and probably was thinking that, man, if I speak up for Jesus now, then they're going to kill me, and then what good will I be for Jesus? He could have rationalized that, but, but he didn't. He owns up to, to what he did, and he didn't take a shortcut. And, and what I see happen many times in people's lives is when they fail, they try to take a shortcut around it. They try to go over it or, or around it or under it, but they don't want to go through it. But God wants you to go through the grieving process. He wants you to weep bitterly over the failure in your life. Why? Because it's in that moment, it's in that season that God is molding you, shaping you, developing you, and he's helping you to learn the lessons that you need to learn. Because if you and I don't learn the lessons from our failures of the past, what are you going to do with them? You're going to carry them with you right into the future. It happens all the time. And so somebody will fail in a marriage relationship or somebody will leave a church or, or somebody will, you know, fail at whatever, and they don't take the time to learn the lesson, and so they take it right with them back into the next relationship or back into the next business or back into the next church, and guess what? Well, you know what I've discovered? That wherever you are, there you are. There you are. And if you don't learn the lesson, then you carry it right with you and you keep repeating the failure. And so God needs us to go through those times and, and learn. And so weeping bitterly is a part of that. That's what David did. We read in the psalm that beautiful prayer that he prayed after his uh, uh, sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. The sacrifice that God wants is a willing spirit. He says, God, you will not reject a heart that is broken and sorry for its sin. And so he wants us to go through that. Number two is let others help me. Just let other people help you when you fail. That's a step back to healing because you and I were never intended to do life on our own. We were, we were wired for relationships. And you need people to, to help you. Peter did that. He turned to other people in his time of failure. And you could say that this was Peter's small group. This was his life group. 
They go all the way back to the New Testament. I'll give you some examples. On Easter morning, Mary went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping, so they were all together, and she told them what had happened. She went, they were all there, they're all grieving together, they're all weeping together. Because what happens is, when you go through a major failure in your life, you, you and I need to resist the temptation to isolate and to insulate ourselves from other people. And in fact, that's, that's the last thing you should do. I mean, when you go get laid off from work or when you go through a bankruptcy or you go through a divorce or, or some failure in your life, the, the tendency is to keep it a secret and, and not let anybody else know. Now, you don't have to tell everybody, but you should have somebody that you tell. People who can love you and pray for you and encourage you and help give you a different perspective on what you're thinking. And, and so Peter is with this group. And then that night, that, that Sunday evening, Easter night, the same day, the disciples were together, circle the word together, they were together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jews. Now, when I'm afraid, I like being with other people. You know, I don't like being afraid and being by myself. If I'm going to have to be afraid or scared of something, I'd much rather be with other people so we can all be scared together. And it, it's, it's just better to have other people around you. And, so, and then remember that Jesus, when he walked out of the tomb, he didn't go straight to heaven. He kind of hung out on earth for a while, about 40 days or so. And so a week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house. A week later, they're still together again. Why? Because they were coming together because they needed each other in this difficult time. Here's the third step that, that you and I can take when we experience a, a, a setback or a failure, and that is to cast myself on God's mercy. To cast myself on the mercy of God. Now, right here, I need a volunteer. I need somebody who's healthy, strong. Bill, Bill, thank you for volunteering right here. I, <laughs> you always volunteer. Thank you. I appreciate that. I need to ask you one qualifying question. You, do you have back problems? Not bad back problems. Okay. Everybody has back problems. That's right. I'm good. Yeah. Do you have neck problems? Do you have a pain in the neck? No. She's not sitting next to you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, come on. so come on up here. One final question. Are you strong? Uh, Pretty strong. I can, I can look at you and tell. Wait right there. All right. Okay. Don't go anywhere. Okay. So what I need you to do is just take this and just hold it like this. Okay, just hold it. Okay. Don't go anywhere. Just hold it and, and stay right there. I'm going to keep preaching, and you just keep holding. You keep listening to me, okay? Don't pay any attention to him, all right? Just ignore him. So I need to cast all my care, my, my, myself, on God's mercy. We know that this is what Peter did because you see it when he wrote First Peter. This is what he says. Because of his great what? Mercy, he gave us new life by raising Christ Jesus from the dead. In other words, Peter said, I'm not the same guy anymore. I have a new life. And he says, this fills me with living hope. In other words, he failed, but now he knows the mercy of God, and, and he's not grieving. He's not wallowing in self-pity. He's not saying, pity poor me and all that stuff. No, a new life. Why? Because of the mercy of God. You see, what God wants you and me to do is to cast ourselves on his mercy, and so later in the book of Peter, he gets, you doing okay? Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. So later in the, in the same book, we know that that's what Peter did because that's what he advised you and me to do. Read this verse with me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 
Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Read it one more time. Get it back up. <laughs> cast, cast all of your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Now, that word, can't get, sit, down. Right. sit it down for a second. Just sit it down for a second. Sit it down for a second. Okay, now pick it back up. All right. Now, hold it back up. And, and do you need help? Yeah, I do. I'll help you. Okay. Thank you. And so, That's awesome. You got pretty hard abs. <laughs> we both have rock hard abs. Oh, yeah, right. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, the word cast is an amazing word because it's not like fly fishing <laughs> where you just, you know, at lazily on a, on a stream. You're sweating. You know, I'm sweating just from that. It has nothing to do with that. It, what the word cast, the cast means that the burden is so heavy, it's so burdensome, that what do you want to do with it? What do you have to do with it? Got to get rid of it. You, what do you do? So what do you do? Just drop it. Drop it. That's what you do. I'll go get it. Good. Good. Thank you. Get it and go bring it back up here. Let's give, let's give Bella a hand. Thank you. So you set it right down there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so, what 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 are you carrying in your life that God never intended you to carry? And in the context of failure, what are you carrying? I guarantee you, some of you in this room right now, what you're carrying is the regret of what you did. And it's a weight that is so heavy, it's killing you. It's killing you. And you need to drop it. For some of you, you you're, you're so afraid of the future. You don't know what God has in store. You don't know what death holds for you, how you're going to die, what the next job's going to be, who you're going to marry, where's the money going to come from. And you're, you're afraid of the future, and that's a heavy weight to carry. And some of you, 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 you can't... You can't enjoy today because you're carrying the weight of worry and anxiety, and it's becoming so heavy. And what God says is, you just need to cast it on me. Just cast it on me. If you're going to come back from this failure, that's what you need to do. Now, how then does Jesus help us do that? That's what I want you to really see today. And in this, in this story, in Luke 22, there are just a couple of verses. And there's so much that comes out of these verses that help us to see how Jesus responds. He, he says, Jesus says, Simon, Simon. And, you know, Simon went by two names, Simon and Peter. Sometimes he was called Simon. Sometimes he was called Peter. He says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He wants to turn your life upside down. He wants to shake you around. He wants to turn you every which way but loose. But I've prayed for you, Simon. I've prayed for you that your faith it should not fail. So when you have repented, when you have repented and turned back to me again, strengthen and build up your brothers. Let me show you very quickly five things that Jesus does in response to our failure that we need to see. Here's the first one. He understands us. Everybody say, God understands me. 
God does. He, he understands you. Jesus predicted Peter's temptation long before it ever happened. He knew what was coming. And he, Jesus also knows that you and I are going to fall. Jesus knows that we have an enemy who hates us, who hates him, hates us. Jesus knows that you and I have an enemy who his, his purpose in life is to steal and to kill and to destroy you. That's what he wants to do. And if he takes a failure to do it, he'll do it. And, and he knows that God knows that. He understands that. And, and sometimes we act like, oh, God, how could I do that? I know you'd be so ashamed and all this stuff. And, and I'm not saying God wanted you to do it, all this stuff. I'm just saying he knew. And, and sometimes I think we think that God goes, gosh, you are such an idiot. How could you do that? I wish you would stop that. You just, why do you keep doing that? You know, he doesn't respond to us like that. He understands. He just understands. In Psalm 103, I love this verse. God certainly knows what we are made of. He bears in mind we are dust. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah, that's right. George has made of dust. That's why I did that. Okay. He understands. Here's the second thing. He prays for us. He prays for us. I, I love this verse where it says, Peter says, uh, Jesus says to Peter, but, but I, I've already prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I've already prayed for you. I mean, isn't it great to know that Jesus prayed for Peter? And, and isn't it great to know that Jesus prays for us? And you might be thinking, well, I don't know. Jesus maybe prayed for Peter. I'm not so certain he prays for me. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. God is so aware of you. Jesus is so aware of you. I, I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says, Jesus is able to save, save us completely. Those who come to God through him, Jesus is able to save completely. Those who come to him through Jesus. And the reason through Jesus, because he's the only way, he's the truth, he's the life. We talked about that last week. But then this last line, it says, because he always lives to intercede for them. The word intercede, you could replace that with prayer. Because all prayer is, is in, whenever you pray for somebody else, you're interceding for them. You're making intercession for them. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. Folks, that's the mercy of God in your life. Prays for us. Here's the third thing. He believes in us. Isn't it great to have people in your life who believe in you? Isn't it good to have people who believe in you? Well, I want you to know something today. Jesus is not only with you, Jesus is for you. He is for you. And he believes in you. And you need to know that. Sometimes, how many of you sometimes have a hard time believing in yourself? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of us do. And sometimes we have to borrow from the belief of other people that they have in us until we have enough of our own. I would encourage you today, if, if you can't believe in you, and even if you can believe in you, to continue borrowing from the belief that Jesus has in you, that God has in you, because he does. I, I love this verse in Luke 22. It says, so when, everybody say when. When you have repented, not if you repent, Peter, and if you come back, but when you repent and when you turn back to me again. He just believed and he knew that, that, he, that he was going to do that. And in fact, I think that in some ways, this is a mark of a, of a true follower of Jesus. 
I, I love Proverbs 24 when it says, for even though a righteous man fails seven times, falls seven times, he will rise again. You know what I love about that verse? It shows us that even good people mess up. It shows us that even righteous people fail. doesn't mean you're evil. It doesn't mean God stopped loving you. It simply shows you're human. And God understands, and, and he, Jesus is praying, and he still believes in you. I mean, his mercies are new every morning, right? Every day, his mercies are new. I am so, so grateful for that. I'm, I'm 61 years old. I'll, I'll be 62 um, in July, uh, the 18th, by the way. And, um, <laughs> but, but I did some calculation this week, and, and at 61 years old, that's 22,265 days. And so I've got 22,265 days of mercy in my life. Every day, for over 22,000 days, God's mercy has been new every single day. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. Somebody should say amen. 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 Here's number four. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on us. He never walks out on us. He, he, in fact, not only does he not give up on us, he is pursuing us, just like he did Jonah. And this, this beautiful scene in John 21 in Peter's life, and uh, Peter, probably still frustrated, probably still discouraged over what he did, one day he turns to his disciples and says, you know what, guys? I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I mean, I deny Jesus, and I'm, I'm still frustrated over that. I'm going to go back and do what I know to do. I'm going to go fishing. And a few of them joined him. And so they're out on the Lake of Galilee and, and they're fishing and, and they fish all night and don't catch anything. And, and then the sun comes up and one of them notices somebody standing on the shore. And this guy yells out, hey, did you catch anything? And they said, no, we haven't caught anything. We've been fishing all night. Not a thing. And he says, well, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they must have been thinking, well, who, what does he know? I mean, we're the professional fishermen, but, you know, we're not catching anything. So I guess so. They said, threw it over. And they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull the fish into the boat. And then John, he, he begins to recognize. Maybe the sun had come up by now a little bit more. He could recognize and say, that's Jesus. It's the Lord. It's, it's the Lord. I mean, and so what does Peter do? Peter jumps out of the boat, and he swims 300 feet to shore. And I, and I love that scene. I would love to have been there. And then when he, they get to shore, it says, then Jesus served them bread and fish. So Jesus is on the, on the shore, and he's fixing breakfast for these guys. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. I think he's still encouraging them and, trying, and extending his mercy to them because you would have to agree with me, when, when somebody's betrayed you, when somebody's denied you, when's the last time you fixed breakfast for somebody who betrayed you? Right? I mean, if you did, I'll bet you spit in it, okay, <laughs> or, or, or you did something, because that's what I would do, okay? <laughs> you betray me, and, and, so, and, so, and so I love this verse in 2 Timothy. Again, it helps us see the mercy of God. If we are unfaithful, is anybody in here has been unfaithful to God? Anybody mess up? If we're unfaithful, God remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He cannot be unfaithful to you. It's his character. It's his nature. And then one final thing, one final way he responds, and this maybe is the craziest of all, is number five, is, is, is he uses our failure to help others. 
He uses our failure to help others. I love this in, in the story in Luke 22, verse 32. He says to Peter, when you have repented, Peter, and you turn back to me, this is what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers because they're discouraged. They need help, and, and you need to take your failure, and you need to use this, this time to strengthen them. He, he, he says to Peter, he, says, he asks him the question, if you know the story, he asks the question, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, yeah Lord, I, I love you. And he asked him that question three times, and I think he probably asked him that question three times so that he could be kind of reminded of the three denials, and now he's got a chance to make up for it. And then his response was, then Peter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to care for my lambs. I want you to encourage your brothers. That's what I want you to do. Isn't it great to know? Isn't it good to know that when you fail, when you mess up, that, that God can take your biggest mess up and he, he can use it for probably your greatest message into the lives of people who need encouragement? Because you know as well as I do, when you've messed up and you get in a conversation with somebody and they hear your story and they, re, they respond, really? Me too. Me too. You see, God knows and he looks at you, and he, he, can, he can say, yeah, me too. I, I know what it's like to be tempted like that. But he never walks out. He never walks out. I want you to repeat something after me this morning. Repeat this. God can take my greatest failure and use it for his greatest purpose. That's what God does. He takes your greatest failure and uses it for his greatest purpose. I, I tell you, just a few days later, about 50 days later, Peter's preaching in the heart of Jerusalem, and over 3,000 people are baptized. And just days before, he denied even knowing who Jesus was. And so God's mercy in our failure is so evident. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your head and as we close today. All of us here failed. All of us know what it's like to regret. All of us here know what it's like to worry about the future. All of us know what it's like to fear. All these things, we know that. But today, what Jesus is saying, would you just cast that on me? And some of you today have never come to faith in Jesus. And if you haven't, would you repeat this prayer after me? And if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, I invite you as well. Father in heaven, Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for forgiving me. I pray this in your name. Amen.